America. My name is Aaron Yosef Frimpong. I come to you live every Friday. And today we're going to talk about the University of California system banning the SAT for uses in scholarship uh, information and admissions. All right. So one would think, oh, you know, uh, the standardized tests are bad. This is this will help people of color. And I don't think you understand enough about the University of California demographic and the pressures uh, that a place like UC Berkeley uh, feels. And I went to UC Berkeley and I was one of the few Negroes there, especially, like, I think, black guys who don't play a sport or um, are like, I think they got confused and let me in because they might have looked at my name and assumed that I was from Africa as opposed to like Los Angeles. Uh, so there aren't too many, there aren't too many black guys there at all. So what this is actually, what there are, are a lot of Asians. Like, which is kind of cool for me, uh, cause I, I like Asians and, uh, um, I went to a high school that was predominantly white. So it was nice to see, like, this is the demographics of Berkeley at the time, uh, now, right? So I just grabbed this off of the website, 26% white, 34% Asian. But um, the non-resident aliens are also Asian. So, like, it's, it's, it's ethnicity unknown, probably Asian, too. So there's a way in which um, you walk on Berkeley and you're like, wow, this place is uh, not a lot of black people, but it's not white. This is not where white kids go to Santa Cruz and Santa Barbara. They do not. They stay away from Berkeley. And, well, they can't get in. They can't get in because they don't score as well as the Asians do on the SAT. And I have the SAT information right here. Let me just bring that up. So you can say, well, no, Irony, you know, we've been trying to dethrone standardized tests for a long time. Yeah, but it didn't matter when it was about getting black people in. It, like, when, it was, uh, when, it was, when it was an issue that standardized tests were disproportionately hurting black people, nobody cared. We were like, well, you know, have to, we have to keep it objective for the sake of meritocracy. Now the standardized tests are like overwhelmingly like, nixing white kids. We're like, well, we need to look at the whole student. And uh, it turns out that, you know, the, the Asian students who are in California are better are more serious about these tests than white people. Now, I will say that UC Berkeley tried something like this in the in the aughts. In 2006, the University of California system led the push to put idioms, idioms on the SAT, right? So idioms on the SAT uh, because, you know, white kids were getting beat by Asians and we had to find a way. We couldn't get rid of the SAT, but like we had to change the test so that white kids, and it wasn't enough because it turns out that the Asian kids then learned idioms. <laughs> so gotcha suckers you're, you're, so what you're dealing with was uh, Wilt Chamberlain and why do, why do I say what you're dealing with was Wilt Chamberlain I just found out that apparently in the 70s Wilt Chamberlain like they, he changed the games I didn't know that they instituted the three second rule because of Wilt Chamberlain goaltending mostly because of Wilt Chamberlain I didn't know that like he actually fundamentally changed the game and so Asian immigrants kind of fundamentally changed the ideological structure and underpending of white, uh, white supremacy. It had to change to admit, like, it couldn't be like, well, you know, we have to be objective. No, it, it wasn't about that anymore. Like, Asians beat you on that. It was, the test was never objective anyway. It was about how you could study for the test. Um, and, uh, you know, I actually like having the SAT on 
the uh, admissions because I'm, I'm pretty good at standardized tests and I don't like teachers. That's not true. I don't feel called to, to kiss teachers, but enough to do the kind of things that you, one would have to do to get all A's. So um, I like the fact that I can just take a test. I can study for a test. I can't write my own letter of recommendation. I can't grade myself, but I can take a test. So that's why I, I was not, I, I actually like the SAT as a test. And I'm going to mourn for it being gone. Um, because I can tell you one thing. While people will talk about this being good for the Negro, the SAT being gone, I can tell you one thing. In 10 years or in seven years, Berkeley's not going to be merely 26% white. Um, and I'm going to go a little bit more in the detail about the dynamics. Because if you don't know the dynamics of Northern California or Berkeley in general, well, I think UCLA too, then you don't understand why this was totally an anti-Asian attack. Uh, getting rid of the SAT was completely an anti-Asian attack. It's got nothing to do with um, got nothing to do with black people or Latinos. It's got everything to do with white people being outscored by Asians. And I will give you a little bit more historical context after the beat. To the beat show. Change the ways for the world or the government. If it was the president, then I would state facts. You leave it up to me, I paint the White House black and it can feature in So the black people will often get used. We get used for cover, right? So LBJ and there was a big push for affirmative action announced at Howard and this is for us, it's for black people. Turns out white women figured out a way to weaponize it and they eat off affirmative action more than anybody else. They get the inheritance from their um, uh, grandfather and then you know their husband puts a business in their name and then they go get the government contracts. White women, like by just about every objective measure, white women have eaten off of affirmative action better than everyone else combined. Like they won, they won that game. Um, so, and so something that was made for us ended up getting eat for, getting, um, uh, uh, mostly profiting white people because it's all in the family. Patriarchy is a family relationship and it's all about white supremacy in these United States. So it, it stays in the white money and the, and the white jobs and the white contracts still stay white. They just now go to the wives <laughs> instead of the husbands. Right. So white women eating off affirmative action. Disability. I'm a fan of like a both affirmative action and disability accommodations. You know who eats off of uh, disability accommodations? White people who want a time and a half on standardized tests. Let me tell you, um, if you get time and a half on something like the LSAT, I've taken the LSAT and like I, I did well because I'm going to standardized test or whatever. But if you get time and a half on that test, you're not taking the same test. They're taking a qualitatively different test than everybody else who doesn't have an uncle as a doctor or is going to not going to have their parents put them in front of a doctor for them to say the right words, for them to get tested with an accommodation so that they get time and a half on the test. Right? So time and a half on these standardized tests is a whole nother test. 
you're not taking the same test. You're, you're not. You think you are. People tell you you are, but you're not taking the same test. If you get time and a half on the ACT, if you get time and a half on a math test, if you get time and a half on the LSAT, you're not taking the same test, which is fine for what it is. But let's stop pretending that you're taking the same test. You're not. You're not. So disability accommodations have been weapon and also, once again, disproportionately going to white people so that they can come close, but not quite. I don't, I've never... <laughs> I have never once seen an Asian American, and I know heaps of Asian Americans, um, fill out the paperwork for a disability accommodation. I've never seen it. I've never seen it. Like, I would like to see the data. I would like to see the data on Asian Americans filling out, uh, uh, calling for a disability accommodation and getting time and a half on these standardized tests. It's not something they do. What they are doing right now is studying flashcards <laughs> as we speak uh, for the plot against them. And you have to understand that Asian America, it, it's a weird general category because it takes like uh, uh, immigrants who came to the United States prior to uh, 1965, which like, you know, we're talking about refugees and, and treated like trash. To the post-65, the H-1B uh, generation. And it turns out that half of Chinese immigrants to the United States come with a, um, a bachelor's degree. Whereas 2% of, of native Chinese people have a bachelor's degree, a college degree. Which means that we're not, and, and I, I suspect it's even harsher for the uh, um, uh, Southeast Asians, uh, uh, South South Asian slash Indian population, where I've met, like I said, a ton of Indian Americans. I didn't realize until, I don't know, a few years ago that pretty much every single Indian American I know is from the top two casts. I know. <laughs> like, they're from the top two casts. So we're not, we're getting the Asian immigrant population in the United States are like people who have been generationally used to treating their native population, the poor and the working class native population in their home countries like trash, right? So like disposable. So, you know, we come here, we offer them provisional whiteness. Um, as long as you take up anti-blackness, most of them are like, sure, I can take up anti-blackness. Where's my McMansion? And what happens is that's fine. It's provisional whiteness though. And, you know, what white people did is they called and they want their whiteness back because Asian Americans were then beating white people at stuff that, you know, white, you know, non-provisional white people were, like thought that they was, was theirs, right? So Asian Americans adopted provisional whiteness and got confused. They thought it was real whiteness. And my friend, I had a friend in Decatur who was telling me that um, Decatur is in a... a um, is a community in uh, outside of Atlanta that's quickly being gentrified. And she was telling me that, look, look, you know, every year I used to call the tax assessor's office and say that like, I'm having a hard time getting my income taxes together, property taxes together. Do you mind if we put me on a plan or can I work something out? And the tax assessor's office would always work something out. Except about three years ago, the tax assessor's office was like, no. <laughs> we're not working nothing out. You got to go. So what was the difference? Well, what's the difference is that area is gentrifying. And gentrifying means white people want their land back. So pretty much, and my, my friend was black, my friend, it felt like, it felt like she was just 
all this time she thought she owned the house, but she really didn't own the house. White people own the house. And white people called the county government and said, like, we want our house back. <laughs> and now she's got to go because it was never actually meant for you. So you thought you were owned stuff, but it turns out you were only ever renting. This was always provisional. This is like the story I tell about Greenwood, uh, the Tulsa massacre. And same thing happened in Memphis and New Orleans and Rosewood. It happened. And um, 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 when I talk about Greenwood, I'm talking about you know Tulsa. But like in North Carolina, what was it Wilmington? Wilmington had happened. Like anytime black people thought that they owned stuff, that white people, it was fine until white people wanted it back. And then they brought the guns and the tanks and they took it back. Like right now, anytime black people think that they can own and build stuff, some white guy will just come in and throw a lot of money and bribe who they need to bribe and buy it up or internally destabilize it. Which is why, like, I, you know, white people aren't scared of black nationalism because they know that as long as it happens on in these United States, they can always imminent, imminent domain it <laughs> and uh, uh, just take it and, and take it for theirs. And uh, but they are scared of critical race theory because I don't think because they know that white terrorism can't actually sustain the truth about white terrorism. And it might actually. So critical race theory may actually implode whiteness because it's just going to tell the truth about the terrorist like sensibility that that everybody else who's non-white um you know, lives with. By the way, I was talking to a friend, and you know, she's you know, upper class white lady, and she's like, you know, white people don't have a a, con uh, a concept of real talk. That's not something I really. They don't really. We we don't have a real talk. And then I was like, yeah, because real talk is what black people have when they're not talking in a way that makes white people comfortable. <laughs> like, like that's like real talk emerged as a response to like having to live in like in to keep white people comfortable so there is no there is no real talk um in white people because they just have masks that they put on for each other and then they have masks under masks and it's just masks all the way down and so they just constantly lie to each other and they're constantly calibrated to make each other feel good which is like completely like um abstracted from the truth and um, it's just mask, mask, mask. And if you keep, and if you try to take all the masks off, like in, at the community level, what you'll find out is just a, a community on pills and antidepressants because there's no there there except like a bunch of lies. And so they're confused about the world and they're, you know, mildly meaningless. So what critical race theory might force them to, to uh, handle the truth about themselves? And I think what white conservatives know, and I think white liberals know too, is that. The truth about themselves might actually destabilize whiteness in a way that, like, putative black nationalism can't. Right. So, um, and, like, the publicly acknowledged truth, because white people also know deep down that they're, you know, terrorists, but it needs to be a publicly acknowledged truth where everybody, like, knows the terrorism of settler colonialism that is still with us. Right. So... I do this so that people don't get confused. I do this video so that people don't get confused about uh, the racial justice of getting rid of the SAT when it's really just a white power grab. And there's a great, and if you don't understand Northern California, here's a great little article by Anjali Injetti. She wrote about white people fleeing suburbs. They're fleeing uh, Asian ethno suburbs. Right, because they don't want little Tiffany and little Kimberly going to school and being made to feel bad because they get outscored and straight up beaten in all ways 
uh, by, you know, <laughs> Jennifer. Um, uh, uh, you know, they get, they get, get, they get beaten in all ways by recent Asian immigrants, right? So it turns out that liberal whites are fleeing the good schools because the good schools have too many Asian students for their liking and they want their kids to feel good. So there is that. And like I said, you, you, if you're in a someplace else in the United States, like I'm going to get, I can tell you right now on this video, I'm going to get a lot of white guys on in the comment section who go like, well, you know, this isn't the case because, um, yeah, Asians are outscoring whites all over the U.S. And, and this has nothing to do with California or Berkeley. No, this has everything to do um, um, with California and Berkeley because while Asian students might be outscoring white students everywhere in the U.S., they're not a majority of flagship university populations in all places in the U.S., right? And that's, and that's what's doing the work. Like... Berkeley is not a white school, like in any way. Like pretty much you have to join, if you're white, you have to join, and you're white and you're kind of used to the perks of whiteness, you have to join the Greek system to get some semblance of it. The Greek system exists to give white people a place to go um, so that they are comfortable whiting out loud. Because, like, Berkeley doesn't necessarily um, uh, do that. And right now I'm getting a picture because I think you guys are going to kick out of this. I'm getting a picture. And I, and I say that that's, that's not the worst thing in the world. And people say, I mean, I mean, how could you be f so pro-standardized tests? Don't you know that standardized tests are racist? And I tell them, there is no way in hell that standardized tests are more racist than my teachers. Mind you, this is my junior high school. This is why I moved uh, from L.A. proper to Orange County, uh, Laguna Hills, um, in seventh grade. And this is the eighth grade band picture. This is my junior high school. So you have to understand that, you know, I... I appreciated the non-whiteness of Berkeley. I also appreciated the SAT because my teachers at in this environment were not exactly conducive to appreciating my genius. <laughs> my, um, you know, so I, I, I make facetious. By the way, if you appreciate what I'm doing, go ahead and uh, go to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in five, fifteen, or fifty dollars a month because you know doing what I'm doing, depending on who you talk to, makes you down, makes me downright down white unemployable. However, um, I think that uh, you know I'm providing a service, and if you think that I'm providing a service too, and I and and you know trying to put the and I'm you know fighting white people out loud takes. Um, bit of courage and practice and i'm trying to give you guys the tools in order to do this in your daily life so send all this to your friends and you know donate five fifteen or fifty dollars a month to the show because i try to give you kind of interesting content and i have the next few shows already planned out and they're going to be rather outstanding so you're going to be happy that you supported this and you're going to want me to grow sooner rather than later so that more people see the shows um because right now the mainstream narrative is that this is good for black people 
this is not good for black people. Berkeley will not have significant numbers of black people. California itself is shedding black people. If it wanted to have black people, like, if, if California cared about black people, they would have done so many different policy 20 years ago. Right? So um, I don't know who's bu- who black is buying in California. Well, maybe it's some Nigerian immigrants. But who's, like, what black person whose grandparents, who has four black grandparents, is buying in California right now? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Or oh, is moving to California to buy. I, I just, maybe they exist, but I know a lot of black people who are moving out. And so this is not about us, right? The number you see, we don't even have numbers on this graph. Like, and that's not going to go up. The black people who go to Berkeley are football players, basketball players, athletes, track athletes, and like random immigrants, and me. <laughs> um, every now and then you'll get you'll get uh, one who who kind of kind of sneaks in because he can take a test and and, and do whatever. So the school's going to fit its needs. The school's getting rid of the SAT so that it has space to. Uh, so the enrollment managers have a more space to meet the needs of the university. And the needs of the university are not Negroes. Needs of the university is white money. While I was at university, I was, you know, through an accident of fortune, I was on a few ex-officio committees. And one of them was Berkeley Foundation. So you go there and you meet a bunch of, like, old-moneyed uh, UC Berkeley grads. And they're all white because white people give. And because they have so much. And... Um, you know, some of them remarked about, like, well, the school is different than it was back then. And the, the difference means, like, it's got a lot of Asians. It's less white. It's less white. So just know that policies that seem to be about us aren't really necessarily about us. They're not about our justice. And we have to actually take the narrative back. Because getting rid of the SAT is not... is, is if, it's like an interest conversion, uh, like interest convergence. Although it's not even in our interest because it's not going to help us because there's so few black people in Berkeley. So it's really just California whites' interest converging with like national blacks and Latinos because it's not going to affect blacks and Latinos in California. They'll still be in Berkeley in, 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 their, in their rates. What it is is going to tick up this... Uh, 26% of white population at Berkeley, which is the most selective one. Uh, it'll get it up to, you know, 35 and 40. And, it, and we'll watch this 35% Asian population go down, which I don't think that's fair. Um, and some people will say, like, well, you know, you should just have a lottery system for admissions. And I'm like, well, I guess. But what you should just do is just be more transparent about what public universities are for and their needs. Right? Like, we need more black people going to the best schools and black descendants of slaves going to the best schools. That's a need for the nation. So forget lottery system. Just get black people and, like, get them the best education because that's what the nation needs. So somebody else said, like, we should just ban all Ivy League schools from um, only people who are first-generation college students can go to Ivy League schools. Like, I think that's fine. Everyone else can go to Bowdoin. You can go to Grinnell. 
you can go to a different you can go to a different school. You just don't get to go to Harvard or Yale. For 20 years, only people who are first generation uh, college students can go to those schools. I I wouldn't actually have a problem with that. I think that would be good for everyone involved. So, what I'm telling you is that we should be aware, be wary of policies that seem to be about us, are taught to us to be about us, are being touted as being about us, but are really just power grabs for white people. Affirmative action was one, disability, accommodations was another, and now we're seeing, um, and now we're seeing the banning of, of, of the SAT being another one. This, it's not about us, not at, UC, not at the U University of California. And this didn't happen at the University of Kansas. This didn't happen at not even UT Austin. This didn't happen at University of Oklahoma, University of Colorado, University of North Carolina, which has a very good system. And if they ban those tests at the University of North Carolina, it might actually help black students. But no, they did it at Berkeley, the one university in California, the one university system, one flagship university system um, at the flagship school that will actually, when you ban it, will help white, white kids, suburban middle-class white kids, because they don't have the stuff to not get outpaced by recent Asian immigrants and, like, you know, people who've been here since 1965, right? So that's, that's what we're at right now, and I just don't want us to think this is about us, right? This is Asian um, this is an anti-Asian policy. <laughs> and like, it's not even anti-Asian, it's anti-elite Asian. So it's really elites. It's elite Asians versus elite whites. And I say they're elite Asians because the non-elite Asians are still in Asia, right? So this is elite Asians versus elite whites. And, um, and it's a war between them. And the elite Asians thought they had provisional whiteness, but white people called their politicians and took their whiteness back. They upped the rent. <laughs> Asians thought they were renting to own or owned, and it turns out that white people upped the rent, uh, the landlord of whiteness upped the rent on them. And, you know, I don't know. I, I feel bad. I mean, this is why I think it's unjust. And I would actually be in support of the SAT. I wish the Asian, especially elite Asians, were better allies to black people, but they didn't come here to assimilate with the losing team. <laughs> so, um, sorry. You thought you, you, you picked a side, and turns out the side you picked, like, doesn't really care about you <laughs> as much. And definitely, like, yeah, I don't know. So, also, um, um, yeah, thank you for your time. And if you have any questions, let me scan chat real quickly to make sure. Someone didn't say anything provocative that I should, uh, blah, blah, just graduate with my black. There's only one black kid in my graduating class. Yeah, so, um, yeah, yeah, teachers are more racist. Teachers are more racist than, thank you, Terry, for the $49. Teachers are more racist than the SAT. It's not that the SAT isn't racist. It's just that, like, in a white school, teachers are going to be more racist. And you know who's going to eat from this. I bet you, once again, this is one of those things that goes, that's going to work for white women more than anybody else. Because if it's just like grades, I don't think anyone scores like gets better grades than white women because white women are teachers, and um, yeah, not only are white women teachers, like a lot of school is just doing exactly what you're told because you're told to do it, and like you know, 
Some people are, demographics are better than that than others for reasons, for reasons, and believing in the system while pretending that you don't. Um, so that's uh, that's all I have to say about that. I hope you appreciate the show. I hope you share it around. Put this on your Facebook, on your Twitter feed, and I will see you next week. If you appreciate the work I do every week and you think that I should continue to do it because I'm giving you the quality of political knowledge and insight that will help you not squander your life and kind of rescue meaning from it, then go ahead and go to www.funkyacademic.com and kick in five, fifteen, or fifty dollars a month, or make one enormous donations. I like the monthlies because it allows me to budget more and that'll help me you know with a marketing budget or getting better equipment that works all the time because a lot of in a lot of ways freedom means having equipment that works every time you turn it on <laughs> and i want to be a free negro so um if you like what i do go to funkyacademic.com and contribute thanks often comes in the form of cash and the site takes Credit cards.